Now for our scripture reading, we have both an Old Testament scripture reading and a New Testament scripture reading this evening. We turn, first of all, to the prophecy of Isaiah and the chapter 32. Isaiah, the 32nd chapter, and we commence our reading of the verse 1. Isaiah chapter 32. Let us hear the word of God. This is the word of the Lord. Behold, a king shall reign in righteousness, and princes shall rule in judgment. And a man shall be as an hiding place from the wind, and as a covert from the tempest, as rivers of water in a dry place, as the shadow of a great rock in a weary land. And the eyes of them that see shall not be dim, the ears of them that hear shall hearken, the heart also of the rash shall understand knowledge, and the tongue of the stammerers shall be ready to speak plainly. The vile person shall be no more called liberal, nor the churl said to be bountiful. For the vile person will speak villainy, and his heart will work iniquity, to practice hypocrisy, and to utter error against the Lord, to make empty the soul of the hungry, and he will cause the drink of the thirsty to fail. The instruments also of the churl are evil. He deviseth wicked devices to destroy. The poor with lying words, even when the needy speaketh right, but the liberal deviseth liberal things, and by liberal things shall he stand. Rise up, ye women that are at ease. Hear my voice, ye careless daughters. Give ear unto my speech. Many days and years shall be troubled, shall ye be troubled, ye careless woman, for the vintage shall fail, the gathering shall not come. Tremble, ye women that are at ease. Be troubled, ye careless ones. Strip you and make you bare, and gird sackcloth upon your loins. They shall lament for the teats, for the pleasant fields, for the fruitful vine. Upon the land of my people shall come up thorns and briars, yea, upon all the houses of joy in the joyous city. Because the palaces shall be forsaken, the multitude of the city shall be left. The forts and towers shall be for dens forever, the joy of wild asses, a pasture of flocks, until the Spirit be poured upon us from on high and the wilderness be a fruitful field, and the fruitful field be counted for a forest, then judgment shall dwell in the wilderness, and righteousness remain in the fruitful field, and the work of righteousness shall be peace, and the effect of righteousness, quietness, and assurance forever, and my people shall dwell in a peaceable habitation, and in sure dwellings, and in quiet resting places. When it shall hail, coming down on the forest, and the city shall be low in a low place, blessed are ye that sow beside all waters, that send forth thither the feet of the ox and the ass. Amen. We turn now for our New Testament reading to the epistle to the Hebrews, chapter 6. Hebrews and the sixth chapter. Again, this is the word of the Lord. Let us hear together. 
Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto perfection, Lot laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms and of laying and of hands and of resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment. This will we do, if God permit. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come if they shall fall away to renew them again unto repentance, seeing they crucify to themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to an open shame. For the earth which drinketh in the rain that cometh oft upon it, and bringeth forth herbs meat for them by whom it is dressed, receiveth blessing from God. But that which beareth thorns and briars is rejected, and is nigh unto cursing, whose end is to be burned. But, beloved, we are persuaded better things of you, and things that accompany salvation, though thus we speak. For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, which ye have showed toward his name, in that ye have ministered unto the saints, and do minister. And we desire that every one of you do show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end, that ye be not slothful, but followers of them who, through faith and patience, inherit the promises. For when God made promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself, saying, Surely, blessing I will bless thee, and multiplying I will multiply thee. And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. For men verily swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is to them an end of all strife, wherein God, willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath, that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation, we fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope sent before us, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into within that within the veil, whither the forerunner is for us entered, even Jesus, made an high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Amen. This ends the reading of God's holy, infallible, inerrant, and sacred word. May the Lord bless the public reading of his precious word. Let us pray and let us seek the Lord's blessing. Amen. Well, dear congregation, I would ask you now at this point to turn your prayerful attention to that passage that I read to you in your hearing from the Old Testament the prophecy of Isaiah and the 32nd chapter. And I want to take the first few verses as my text this evening. It's been a number of years since I've preached upon this text, but I pray that the Lord will bring it with a, a freshness and appropriateness for this evening. God's word is powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. And the dimensions, the height of it, the breadth of it, 
we cannot always understand, neither fathom. As we look upon the ocean of God's grace, it is amazing grace, sometimes we sing, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. When we consider the height of God's love in sending his dear son into this world, God who is infinitely holy and who could have cast this world into a lost oblivion the day that Adam sinned, purposed to show his grace toward poor, helpless sinners in Jesus Christ. And it always brings us great encouragement as we open up his word because we know that almost every page of scripture is filled with the love and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ towards sinners. But it is also pointing us to the very fact that God is holy and this world is going to end one day. And my question to you tonight, if you are not saved, are you ready to die? And are you ready to face the judgment with confidence? Well, it is only the Lord that can make a man ready and prepare him for that final hour. The scriptures say it is appointed unto man once to die. And after that, the judgment. And we read, and so Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. And the question is tonight, are you amongst the many? The many are those who repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. On the finished work of God's dear Son, the Messiah. And it brings my soul great delight to come to this passage once again and to preach Christ crucified for sinners. I want to point you to the first verse. And it points us to the future. And thank God, God knows the future. He knows all things because God, my dear friends, has determined the future. He has determined the outcome. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the ending. And this world is a sinking ship. It is going to end. Now, you notice verse 1 begins with glorious good news. Behold, a king shall reign in righteousness. And this fills our hearts with gladness. You know, if you've been with us Lord's Day mornings, we've been thinking, haven't we, about King David? But oh, how disappointed we have been of late as we have read of David's adulteries and David's murder. He seemed to be a godly, righteous king, but all kings fall short of God's standards. But blessed be God, one would come from the loins from the line of David, no less than God the Son, who would be born of the virgin. Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14, and a virgin shall be, a virgin shall be with child, and his name, we're told there, shall be called Emmanuel. And he is a king. Remember as Herod 
came to seek him, not to worship him, but to destroy him. But he shall reign in righteousness. So it begins, Behold, a king shall reign in righteousness, and princes shall rule in judgment. God's people are described as princes. God takes beggarly sinners out of this world and sets them among princes. The Prince of Peace, first of all, has to come into this world. Because you see, by nature we are enmity with God. That's what the Bible says. The natural mind is enmity with God. But one of the titles of the Lord Jesus Christ is that he is the Prince of Peace. We know, don't we, you may just wish to turn there to Isaiah chapter 9 and the verse 6. Sometimes the prophecy of Isaiah is, is called the gospel of Isaiah. People used to call it that because it is so filled with Christ and the wonderful, the glorious promises of the Savior to come. We notice in the verse 6 of Isaiah 9, For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, El Gabor, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Why? Because he makes peace on behalf of his people. So we're told here a king shall reign in righteousness. That is, He will reign one day, friends. He reigns now. But he has a new heavens and a new earth. And his kingdom is forever. And we're told, and behold, a king shall reign in righteousness and princes shall rule in judgment. Literally in deliverance. That's what the word can mean, judgment. And here it is, the verse 2, that I want us to think about this evening. And a man shall be as a hiding place from the wind and a covert from the tempest as rivers of water in a dry place, as the shadow of a great rock in a weary land. Now we notice there are several features concerning this king. This king is also the very hiding place the very King of kings, the Lord Jesus Christ, and a man. So he is also a king that will reign in righteousness. That was never said of any king, really, ultimately, in the ultimate sense in the Old Testament. If you were to look at all the kings, by and large, the kings of Judah were godly kings. The kings of the north were very ungodly. But none of them was without sin. But that could never be said of the Lord Jesus. Remember, Pilate said to our Lord Jesus, before he had him put to death, Art thou a king? And he said, Thou hast said, He is a king. And upon the cross there was that superscription, King of the Jews, and he is King of his people, King of Israel, king of a covenanted promised people that the father gave him before the world began 
And here tonight, with the Lord's enabling, I take from my text the words of this holy prophecy. It is a prophecy. What we have before us is a marvelous prophecy about the Lord Jesus Christ, that he would be a king that would reign in righteousness, that he would be as an hiding place. From what? The wind and a covet from the tempest. And we'll think about these. What are these things? What do they mean? As rivers of water in a dry place. That's what else he is. My friends, this world is a barren, dry place where there is no thirst for the soul. And you know, if you have lived as long as I have, which by comparison to some people, this may not be many years, you've realized that this world is an empty system and only Christ can satisfy. None but Christ can satisfy. There's no other name for me, says the hymn writer. There's life and everlasting joy. Lord Jesus, in thee. As rivers of water in a dry place, as a shadow of a great rock in a weary land. And so as I present to you tonight, Christ, the gospel is not the gospel without Jesus Christ. We want to present to you God's graciousness toward his people and all of his people will believe upon him. Isn't that wonderful? We are told in that psalm, that psalm of David, that the Lord is a high tower and the righteous run in and are safe. And the Lord Jesus is that hiding place. He is that high tower. And we shall think about this this evening. So the glorious king here, first of all, mentioned in the verse 1. Now we know from history that this verse cannot apply to King Hezekiah. It's utterly impossible. Or any other man. Formerly he's been speaking about Hezekiah. But Hezekiah was a sinner. Remember how the Lord had to lengthen his days. Remember how he had to repent. Now the Lord turned the sundial back. And his days were lengthened. He had another 15 years. Remember how the Lord spared his life. But rather this points to the Lord Jesus. This is a prophecy concerning the Son of God. And it really goes before what we call the four servant songs. Now, the other prophets spoke about this king that would reign in righteousness. If you just turn with me to Jeremiah 23 in the verse 5 there, you notice here, and we know it's, it's immediately identified to us because we also know from the book of Zechariah chapter 3, the righteous branch spoken of there, who will save his people. In Jeremiah 23 verse 5, Behold the days come, saith the Lord, that I will raise unto David a righteous branch, now notice, and a king shall reign and prosper, and he shall execute judgment and justice in the earth. Here is the righteous branch, you see, the righteous king, as is styled there in Jeremiah 23, the verse 5. 
None other than the Lord Jesus. Do you see, my friends, not just the prophet Isaiah is pointed to Christ, but Jeremiah and all the prophets, Hosea, they're all pointing to what God promised our fallen parents, Adam and Eve, in the Garden of Eden. That's amazing, isn't it? And what must we say? God is true to his promise. Millennia has passed. And God was true to his promise. So that we read that in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, born of a woman made under the law. My, my friends, you cannot deny the Bible as to be the infallible, inerrant word of God. And God, as we read, cannot lie. Did we not read there in Hebrews chapter 6? God, as he swore by two immutable things, his oath and his counsel to give us a king that will reign, one who will be that, who will reign over all a new creation. Adam, we could put it this way, Adam was in a sense a king because he was ruling, wasn't he? Adam was head over that created order and then he fell. We read the Bible says, sin has now spread to all men. And look at us. You know, we try to vote people in. Politicians, they let us down. Doesn't matter what party they're from or what place. Cursed is the man that trusteth in man, but blessed is the man that trusteth in the Lord. Don't we thank God for his dear son, the Lord Jesus Christ? But you know, he's not only a king that would reign in righteousness. And this is what makes him the savior. He says in Isaiah, I that speak in righteousness, mighty to save. You see, it is because of that life of absolute obedience to God the Father, unlike any one of us have ever lived. As the Father looks upon him, he says, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Now, we thought this morning, didn't we, how David named his son, Solomon, Jedediah, which means beloved of the Lord. Or we could say Nathan named him that. David called him Solomon, and then he was called Jedediah. But of course, in time, Solomon would prove in many ways to be a disappointment. But the greater than Solomon would eventually come into this world, wouldn't he? The Lord Jesus Christ. And not just once we would hear the voice from heaven Recorded, but twice, once at his baptism, and then the other time. This is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him, my friend. He is altogether righteous, and he is altogether lovely. You cannot compare him with Muhammad or Confucius or any man in this world. He's incomparable because he is the incomparable God who is like unto thee. And he's called wonderful in Isaiah 9. Wonderful. You know, there are hundreds of names in the Bible to describe the Lord Jesus Christ. 
He is a wonder of wonders. So wonderful that God should send his son into this world. The world in which he made, and yet this world that turned its back. The very one who made coat skins for Adam and Eve in the garden would shed his own blood for his people. Isn't that amazing? That very one. Now you notice verse 2, and a man shall be as a hiding place. It's not a different man, but it's the same man. It's this king that will reign in righteousness. And he will be as a hiding place. Uh, from what? From the wind. Well, sometimes, you know, in the Bible, and we'll look at some references in Holy Scripture this evening, that these winds can sometimes be references to trials of life. Trials of life, yes. Uh, for instance, uh, in the Psalm 55, in the verse 3 we read, Because of the voice of the enemy, because of the oppression of the wicked, for they cast iniquity upon me, and in wrath they hate me, I would hasten my escape from the windy storm and tempest. There David is speaking of the trials of his life. And sometimes in our lives, we may go through many trials. But one of the things that the Lord Jesus proves himself to be to his people is that hiding place from the tempests of life. When we have troubles and we have trials, we can take it to the Lord in prayer. We sometimes sing that hymn, don't we? What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege we have, don't we? And we can take everything to God in prayer. There is no such friend that is faithful as Christ. And he will be there for his people in life. Through the greatest storms of life, friend. People will let you down, but God, the Son, who gave himself for his people, will never deny them. Will never forsake them. What did he say to his disciples? Lo, I am with you, even unto the end of the age. Oh Lord, but you're in heaven. Yes, but he's amidst his churches, and by his Spirit, he comes to live in the hearts of his people. And that's a blessing. And so that you see, my unsaved friend, to be a Christian, is one of the greatest things we can ever know in this world. Is to know God, and to know God with you. Emmanuel, Jesus, living and reigning in your heart. In, he reigns in the hearts of his people. And he works righteousness in them and through them by his spirit and will never, never forsake them. But friends, there is a greater tempest that is to come. You notice, and a man shall be as a hiding place from the wind. As I said, the winds can be the adversities of life and are covered from the tempest. Well, there is going to be a great, awful last one day. There is going to be a trial that this world has never known. 
even greater than the greatest thing that ever happened since creation. And what was that? That was the destroying of the ancient world. There was a great storm, wouldn't we say? Where God flooded the whole world and only eight people survived. He will be with them. In that day, we read here, and as a covert from the tempest. Now, there is going to be, we read the other week, didn't we? We preached from Psalm 11 of that great and awful day of God's wrath that is coming. When it is described, Psalm 11 verse 6, Upon the wicked shall he rain snares, fire, and brimstone, and an horrible tempest. That is the tempest that is spoken of here. Why is there going to be a tempest? Friends, Because God is holy. He has to destroy. As you look at this world and you look at all that is going on in it and all the wickedness, how long suffering God is toward this wicked world. How long he is holding back. What kind of a God do you think he is? Do you think he can tolerate sin for much longer? He can't. Well, he said in Genesis 6, didn't he? That for 120 years, Noah, that's it. And then I will destroy man off the face of the earth. And I want to ask you, do you think God has changed? It's not changed. And there is going to come an awful day. There is going to come a day of judgment. And we are told that men will call upon the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. Revelation 6, verse 16 and 17. For great, the great day of his wrath has come. And who shall be able to stand. The wrath of the Lamb has come. How did he ever become the hiding place? That's a great question. This is the mystery of mysteries. How did God, the Son, who is the destroyer, and he is the destroyer, James says, James, the half-brother of the Lord Jesus, said there is one that is able to save and there is one that is able to destroy. How did he, how did this man become the hiding place? Well, he first had to become a man. And that's what we read here. This man, the Lord Jesus, This man came into this world. He came as a man. But you must remember, as I must remember, that he is the God-man. He is no ordinary man. But he had to live the life of complicit obedience 
to the moral laws of God. He could not deflect from serving God. He could not abrogate God's laws. He had to obey them. And he came and he did so joyfully. He said, Thy law is within my heart to do thy will. You see, we mustn't ever get this oppression, impression that the Lord Jesus Christ came resentfully. He came willingly and so glad to do the Father's will. That was his supreme delight in this world. He wasn't forced out of heaven. He wasn't pressured into coming. But it was his supreme delight, my friends, to come into this sinful world. And that should never cease to amaze our poor hearts. And so often, so unthankful hearts. But the Lord Jesus should leave the heights of glory, the worship of angels, the splendor of all that heaven is, the grandeur of that celestial place to come into this stinking, sinful world for poor beggarly sinners. My, it's amazing, isn't it? And a man shall be as an hiding place from the wind and as a covert from the tempest. So he had to come as a man. And what did he do as a man? Well, we said he lived under the law of God earning a righteousness for his people. And I often like to say this, and I believe it's scripturally true, he came to live a substitutionary life for his people. The Puritans often used to say, he did all the doing for the believer. Christ is the end of the law, Romans 10 verse 4, for righteousness to all who believe. So that we do not need to earn a righteousness We're accepted in the Beloved if we believe upon God's dear Son and God gives to all of his people the gift of faith to trust in the righteous obedience of God's dear Son. And that's marvelous. But then, friends, how did he? I still haven't got to the point. How did he become the hiding place? Well, having lived that substitutionary life, He died a substitutionary death. At Calvary was judgment. Do you realize that? What took place at noonday on that horrendous day at Calvary was God spared not his only begotten son. As it were, the unleashed anger of God's wrath was torched upon his son. The flaming wrath was poured upon God's beloved son, who he always loved. And so he would cry, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He was forsaken on account 
of his people's sins. Not on account of the father's lack of love. Nevermore did the father love the son when he was laying down his life for his sheep. And he loved them even unto the end. You see? So that as Christ was bearing those sins and bearing the wrath, the sinner hides in him. Thou blessed rock of ages, I'm hiding in thee. You ever sung that hymn, Rock of Ages, Cleft for Me? It is based upon these words. Christ, who is that rock, a man shall be as an hiding place from the wind, a covert from the tempest, as rivers of water in a dry place, as the shadow of a great rock in a weary land. Does David not refer to the Lord God as his rock? Do you remember when Moses wanted to see the Lord's glory? What did the Lord say? Hide in the cleft of the rock. There in Song of Solomon, he says to his believers, All my dove, hide in the cleft of the rock. Let me hear thy voice, for thy voice is sweet. What is that cry? It's the cry of repentance. As we hide in the finished work, and as we trust in the very person and the work of Jesus Christ, and we say, Lord, nothing in my hands could I ever bring simply to the cross of Jesus Christ. I cling. I come, O Lord, as a beggarly sinner, naked and undone before Thee. Thou art holy, and I know that I could be consumed at any moment of my life. Lord, if thou wouldst to judge me, but I'm hiding in thy Son, the blessed rock of ages, I'm hiding in thee. You see, this is the magnificence of Christ. He's the way to the Father. You know, people can go to heaven But you've got to be holy to go to heaven. And therefore it's impossible for sinners to get to heaven on their own. It is only through the Lord Jesus and all of his people run to Christ. They run to Christ who is that hiding place, who is that high tower. And those people will not be crying on that great day. They will not be crying upon the rocks and the hills to fall upon them. Because Jesus Christ has been their trust in this life. He has been their hiding place. He has been, as we read here, their water. Did he not say to the woman, drink of this water, and thou will never thirst? My friend, you see, salvation is, is, is more than Christ forgiving you of your sins. Salvation is not an insurance policy to get you 
out of hell. But Christ becomes your taste, sweet to my taste. He becomes our life. We drink of him. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 10, does he not? That that rock, which those in the Old Testament drank from. Do you remember that rock? Do you remember what happened to Moses? Moses was told, strike the rock. Water will flow out. And then remember Moses, we can understand how he rather aggravated and annoyed with the people as they murmured day after day, year after year, as God fed them manna from heaven. The scriptures say they ate angels' food. And yet how they were displeased. And they complained. And when, when they needed water, God gave them water. And God was taking them to a better land, to a better place than all that they had in Egypt. And then one day, after God had judged the people seriously, the Kadesh Barnea, and even before that, time after time, God proving his faithfulness, and then Moses becoming angry, the Lord said, now look, they want water. He said, speak to the rock. And water will flow out. The people began to moan and complain again. So what did Moses do? He took the rod again and he struck the rock twice. And God condemned him. Why? And he was forbidden to enter, therefore, into the promised land. Why? Because Christ was struck once for sinners. Once. And Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 10, they all drank from that rock. And that rock was Christ. It's amazing, you know, there were those who actually physically drank from that rock and we told that rock followed them everywhere. And yet God was not well pleased with them. Why? Because in unbelief. They persisted on in their sin. And many people are like this. It just shows the wickedness of the human heart. Lord, if you could just show me a miracle, I'll believe. If we could just see some uh, strange miracles in the church here tonight, then I'll believe, my friend. What did the Lord Jesus say to the rich man who was perishing in hell? What did he say? He said, even if one should... Rise from the dead. You can't persuade them. They will not be, and there's the word, persuaded. And I did a study on the word persuasion this last few weeks. Persuasion doesn't make a Christian. But God makes a Christian. Yes, we may preach persuasively, but you see, God changes the heart. And we see, Lord, yes, I'm so sinful. The reason I've not even wanted to believe is because I want to go on in my own way. That's it. But what does God do? He opens up our eyes to see our sin 
and our unbelief and our poor, dark hearts that Christ is the way. He said many of them drank from that rock. That rock was Christ. But with many of them, he was not pleased. So people saw miracles. You know, the greatest miracle is to believe that God is truly good. You know, this is the problem with the human heart. Man's heart is so wicked that he assesses God like himself. Can God be that good? God is so good, friends, that he gave his only begotten son. That's amazing, isn't it? That God should send his son to live the life that nobody ever lived. And then to die in the room in the stead of his people so that all of their sin would be laid upon Christ. And you see, this is where the Christian rests. Paul tells us in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, that he purged the sins of his people. When did he do it? When you believed? No. When he breathed his lust on the cross. When he purged our sins, it says, on the cross. So what does the Christian do? What does the sinner do tonight? He looks back to God's mercy all those years back. Then in the fullness of time, the Lord Jesus Christ would bear an infinite wrath that was owing to their just deserts. That was their just desert. And they say, it was finished. It is finished. I believe in God. I believe in Jesus Christ as my Savior. I have repented of my sins and I truly believe that this is the only hope for a hell-deserving sinner. There is no other name, friends. There is no other way that a man could ever be saved but by Jesus Christ. You, I suppose if you wanted to think of it this way, there's two options. You live a perfect, obedient life. which none of us have done. People in this world say, yeah, I'll attain it. I'll live a good life. God will be pleased in me. That's what the Jews were doing. Paul had to indict them. They are working a righteousness for their own. And that's what you're doing, sinner friend. You're hoping. Your hope is in yourself. You're your own saviour. But God's people, what do they do? They say, he's my savior. He's my hiding place. I have nowhere else to flee but Jesus Christ. And they all come. We sang, there is a period known to God. He knows the time. The hour when his word goes forth. And sinners' hearts are pricked. Drawn to Christ. Do you remember what he said to Nicodemus? And the others, if the Son of Man be lifted up, he shall draw all men to himself. That's all of his men, all of his people. They will come, they will believe. And what confidence, what 
joy this brings our hearts to know that through the foolishness of preaching and preaching the cross, God will save his people. My, it's a wonderful thing to proclaim Jesus Christ, the hiding place. Let me say this, there will be no hiding place on the day of God's wrath. We know men will be calling upon these rocks and hills to fall upon them. And angels, larger and stronger than men, will be pulling men out of caverns in deepest parts of the world, but they will not escape. But thank God that God called us, if he has, and brought us to Jesus Christ, our hiding place. Notice, and a man shall be as a hiding place from the wind. That's from every wind of life. And from the covet and from the tempest. That's the awful tempest. That is the blast that is to come. And thank God, it is all because of Calvary. When he became our hiding place. We sometimes sing, O Christ, what burdens bowed thy head. Our load was laid on thee, thou stoodest in the sinner's stead, didst bear all ill for me. A victim led, thy blood was shed, there's now no load for me. For me. Thank God. Believer can say, I rest in Jesus Christ. I, I want to just close with this. We, we thought there in Hebrews chapter 6, of how all of God's people have fled to Christ for refuge. What is your understanding of God, friend? That's, that's the big issue tonight. You know, there, you can go to many churches. And many places will say, well, God is, God will overlook this, he'll overlook that. My friend, I believe they serve an imaginary God. The God of the Bible is holy. Just just look throughout the Old Testament. Look at all the sacrifices. You think God is preoccupied, it seems, with blood, blood, blood. Why? Because he demands justice against sin. And without the shedding of blood, there could never be remission of sins. But let me say this. When the Lord saves you, It's a wonderful thing. He becomes your life, your Lord, your everything. And he becomes noticed there as a shadow in a weary land. The psalmist tells us the Lord is a sun and a shield. Think of it. A sun. When you need sun, in the cold days of this life, what is the Lord to his people? He's a son. And then when it's too hot, you need a shield. You need a shadow. And that's what this rock is, Christ. He's not only our son, but he's our shield. He's our everything. He will give grace in this life. And he will give glory. What's glory? Forever. 
in the glory. We have Jesus Christ. We have everything. But it's because he became a hiding place. The Lord Jesus Christ cannot be your sun and your shield. He cannot be these other things until you know him to be your hiding place. That's where you begin. You flee, you run to him for refuge. That's where the sinner begins. He sees, just like, you know, when the people went into the land, six cities were appointed, six cities of refuge. And each one of the names of those cities point us to Jesus Christ. The names were marvelous and specific. What are the names? The first city is Kadesh, which means holy. That's who Christ is. The second city is Shechem, which means shoulder. And Christ is the good shepherd who puts his sheep on the shoulder. The third city was also a marvelous city, Kirjath Arbor, which is Hebron, which means fellowship. And you see, when you become a Christian, you have fellowship with God the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ, and you love to be with Christians. I mean real Christians. Where the day is spent occupied talking about Jesus Christ, who is your hiding place. And then the fourth city, Beza, which means defense. The Lord is our defense. If Christ is our hiding place, and if God spared not his son, but delivered him up to judgment for his people, be sure of it, God will be your defense on that final day. Paul says, who shall bring a charge against God's elect for Christ has died? The fifth city, Ramoth and Gilead, means highly exalted. And my friend, that's it. The Lord Jesus Christ has been highly exalted because he is the man because he is the King of kings and Lord of lords. And he is highly exalted, high in the heavens. And finally, the sixth city, Golan, in Bashan, which means captive. And what has he done? You know what? Just as Noah was in the ark, who shut the door? God shut the door. And when God puts us in Christ, he shuts the door. And no man can open it. And thank God for that. He's become the one who has led captivity captive. He's made us who were once captives to Satan, now captives to him. Thank God, whom Christ has loved, he will never, never, never forsake. Amen.